got uh, Dr. Daniel Ward here from uh, Utah. Uh, and by the way, I am extremely jealous of you right now because I, I'm a snow snowbird fan, and I get I'm getting all the updates of how much you guys are getting dumped with snow, and it's killing me because I was out there in December, and I want to I want to be there now. <laughs> yeah, snowbird got 12 inches last night. I know. So, um, I know. Line, I live I live seven miles from Snowbird, Ed. Do you really? And, uh, so I must awesome. go by your yeah. office. I must go by your office when when I'm uh, driving up Little Cottonwood Canyon, right? Yeah. So you probably right when you get off uh, the the two fifteen freeway. Um, yeah, I know. Right, it's just right there. Well, I saw your address, I think, on Instagram, and I was like, "Wait a minute! I think I go by that building." So uh, <laughs> you do. I'm gonna have to next time I'm there. I'm gonna have to arrange for time to come. You know, uh, grab a cup of coffee or a dinner or something with you and see your office. I'd love to. That'd be fun. And actually, I should point this out. I actually had dinner with one of your uh, former fellows last night, Steve Daines, who did oh, his God. residency at the University of Utah. My my first year after fellowship was his chief year in residency, and so it's great to catch up with him. Yeah. So, so would it, was he in? Was he in town? Yeah. So he's he's in town with his family. They're all skiing. You know, one of the reasons I asked you to be on um, this podcast, and, and you know, you're further along than some of the the younger, you know, the younger facial plastic surgeons that love to listen to to this or people in aesthetic business. I think that we think a lot. Like I heard your talks, the meetings. Um, I completely agree with pretty much everything you say, and I hopefully you hear some of the same stuff coming from me too. But one thing I was fascinated is, you know, back in the day, about twenty some years ago, someone referred to me as an entrepreneur, and I was almost like offended by that because they had a negative connotation, you know? So I know you're, you're, you know, uh, you know, yourself as a, as an entrepreneur. And so how would you, how would you describe that, you know, as a, as a, as a surgeon? Wow. Um, well, first of all, I need to, uh, before I answer that question, I need to say, well, I, I hope it sounds a lot like you because I, like so many of us in the facial plastics world have been inspired by you and by what you've done. I mean, I'm part of entrepreneurs organization, which I have heard oh you talk about yeah. um, many times. And um, it, it, I mean, you, you've really inspired a generation of facial plastic surgeons. And I think it's important that you know that because you, it's uh, with, without I'm, your input, it's very, very good. Yeah. Coming from you, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered and honored, but um, you <laughs> know, I, I love this stuff. And I think that what I learned in, in businesses, it, a lot of it's not, and if, again, if, how long have you been in EO right now? Um, two years, or yeah. I, sorry, coming up on my second year, four years. Yeah. So I, if for two or three years, I, I tried to find EO. I didn't really, and I you know, dropped the ball, whatever, but I've been in about 15 years now. And my only regret is I didn't mm-hmm. do it, sooner, you know, because, uh, yeah, uh, but, but the, the thing, here's the big thing for me that I, I believe, you know, a buddy of mine said to me once, he goes, you know, Ed, and this guy's a, uh, really smart tech Harvard business guy. He goes, he goes, you know, I don't think you can be a good surgeon and a good businessman. And I really was offended by that because I'm like, I think you can be a good doctor, not just a good surgeon, but a good doctor. Right. Because I pride myself. But I think the thing about medicine um, and about business is correct me if you, if you don't agree with me, but it's not necessarily intuitive. And I think the doctors get this wrong because they think I went to medical school. I'm smart. I can figure this stuff out. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, I want to hear your comments. I 100% agree. I think that um, I think that we as physicians um, spend a lot of time working on knowledge and and what we know. And 
despite the fact that's in, in some ways kind of a selfish thing, it it's we don't work on ourselves in terms of some of the, those inner traits, like our leadership skills, our interpersonal skills, our negotiations. You know, the things that are actually important in day-to-day day-to-day relationship, no matter what you do. Yeah. We don't spend a lot of time. And in fact, I think a lot of our role models are actually really, they have a hard time with it. And so yeah. it's, it's not like it's their fault. They don't know. Like they're, they're just limit, working with the limited toolbox that they have. But I think as physicians, I, I, I agree with you. Like I, I, I'm kind of offended that you can't be by that concept, that you can't be a good entrepreneur and a good physician. Cause I, I disagree. Um, but I do think that you need to approach them differently because I think, you know, as a, as a physician and, and definitely as a surgeon, like our job is innovative and safe and, and as always, and you can't do that in business. In business, you've got to, to be, there's risks you have to take in, and you can't not only, you've got to learn how to manage risks. Um, and, and that's something that's difficult to do. And, and you know, the physician's doing that. That's a really a good physician. Somebody who totally eliminate risks as physicians. So I, I agree with kind of the concept that you're saying there, but it's, um, I agree. I think you can be both a good physician and a good doctor and it, it's, but it's, but it's not intuitive. Yeah, no, it's not. And I think that, uh, you know, there's an old saying that, uh, you know, there, there are pilots and there are doctors, but there are no old pilot doctors or something because doctors tend to kill themselves in airplanes. Yeah. I'm a pilot. Okay. Take offense to that, but I'm very, very careful. And I think it's, you know, that's why so many physicians are terrible business people because they, they've learned to take some risk. It's very different than financial or business risk. And because of the risk that they've taken, they think they understand are smarter than they are. And we all know a lot of physicians who I know physicians who've gone bankrupt. Um, you know, yeah. so how did, how did this, I mean, did it, did it, was it kind of intuitive to you? Did you, a kind of a chicken and egg thing? Did, did you, what inspired you to go out on your own? So, yeah, I was, I was at the University of Utah for, for six, seven years before I decided to, that it was, I just was kind of tired of the bureaucracy. At right. the time I, I would have, uh, when I was leaving, I would have said it's, oh, it's because they're changing our pay structure. You know, I was going to take like a 50% pay cut or something like that, which I wasn't crazy about. But, but the more that I've kind of learned about myself, I realized that that wasn't it at all. It was, it was the fact that I felt limited by, that I couldn't do anything. I, I, I like to build things and create things and it being part of a bigger organization made it so it was difficult for me to do. Um, I've always wanted to, I think that within me, like my natural innate personality is entrepreneurially in nature. But I think, you know, kind of like what you're saying earlier, I think I was kind of suppressing that through, I think the medical system does a pretty good job of suppressing that for a lot of us. And I mean, was mine was kind of suppressed. Was it something you always thought you wanted to do was to go out on your own or, or were, would, you know, would you could have you potentially been there forever and been happy? I mean, because I think it's one of those things. I could have been there forever. You could have. Yeah, no, I, I could have been there. It was my dream job, which, you know, people say that, like, and it's, it's always your dream job until it's not your dream job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just, the thing that I love about entrepreneurship is that I really like building things. I like the creative process. I like building things and growing things. And yeah. not being able to do that as part of a, of a bigger organization kind of bothered me. And it's, again, I thought that it was about the money. It's not about the money. It's about being able to have that creativity and grow things and solve problems. That's kind of what I like to do. And yeah. I just didn't feel like I could do that. 
Yeah. Uh, so the the time when you decided to go out, you know, to go out on your own, was that a, I mean, well, let me ask you if, you, if you were advising someone going out who kind of thinks they, you know, eventually would want to run their own show, would you advise them to take a position at the university? Was it, a, uh, do you think it was a good learning experience for you or would you recommend going straight out? Because I'll, I'll give you my thoughts. I, I, well, well, my thoughts are, I don't think it really matters. You just want a good person, um, somebody who's going to care about patients, who's going to care about not only the patients, but understands the importance of your team, is going to treat the staff well, going to treat your team well, who's going to mesh and just kind of do things right. Um, you know, whether they came from an academic career before or after, I don't know if it really matters too much. What's your, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I, I do. I I often do encourage people to, uh, you know, even do academics for four or five years. Uh, you know, I had a hybrid thing. I went out on my own and then I kind of worked my way back into university for about 10 years part time. And then I jumped back out, uh, I, although I was controlling my own, always controlling my destiny and paycheck and pay, you know, and and, and my team. Yeah. But the, the one thing about and correct me if you don't if you don't agree, the one thing about putting your time in at the university um, is you get a, a ton of experience doing all kinds of stuff that you, I mean, the first time I wanted to take, you know, rib cartilage in a surgery center, you know, they're like, oh, 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 you know, but I, I felt so comfortable with that. It wasn't an issue, you know, and I think that I tell the young generation, you know, get, get up to, because I, I do see a lot of people jumping out and they're so, they're, the number thing, they got to, they got to get revenue, right? So they start focusing on non-surgical and next thing you know, they become a timid surgeon because maybe they haven't done a ton of surgery. I, I, I so sometimes I do encourage, and like my last fellow, uh, Jenna Van Beck, she's going to do terrific. She's, you know, going back to University of Minnesota. Minnesota, uh, Katrieb has done really well. And, you know, he's in, got himself in a position yeah. where he can jump out if he wants. I think that it allows you to do a huge amount of surgery and get really good at, at being a surgeon and taking real surgical risk, um, you know, without, you know, without just worrying about the revenue. Uh, although I know people who've gone just, you know, gone out and become very good surgeons, but a lot of it depends on training too. If you don't have a really, really good training coming out of your residency, we know, I, I will tell you, there's some programs that are, you know, they're not really strong as far as hands-on. Um, I've just seen a number of the younger surgeons become timid and they end up basically being nothing more than, I hate to use the word glorified dermatologist, but procedural, you know, facial plastic surgeon. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts? No, I mean, I think that is an excellent point, and that's something that I will forever be grateful for. Well, first of all, my training, I did all my training at the University of Michigan, which was pretty busy, yeah. so that was great. But, um, but no, those those six years or so that I spent at the university, I got a ton of experience. And and you're right, like that does give you a confidence. You know, going back to the to this concept of, you know, getting that clinical experience and exposure, it, it is so important, I think, to be able to get that comfort because. I don't know if you face this, but it's talked about a lot. You know, I think people are more comfortable talking about this, but imposter syndrome, you know, this concept of feeling like you're not good enough or that you don't know what's going on and that, you know, you're, you're nowhere near as good as the, all the other surgeons out there is a real thing. And no, I with think, that uh, doubt and that self-doubt you know, is, is painful. Yeah. And get, no, going I, through that and, and learning that is important. I think we all go through that, don't you? I mean, we go through it toward the end of our residency. Yeah. If we're going to be a good surgeon, you know, we get into practice, we were if we're going to be a good doctor. I mean, I think that the imposter syndrome, especially for high achievers, high performers, is real. Uh, always comparing yourself to someone else 
you know, in, in, in strategic coach, they talk about, you know, not don't focus on the gap and the gap is where you think yes. you are compared to where you think you should be. And so many of us beat ourselves up over that. Right. Right. I love, by the way, that, that, th that reference for those who are listening, the gap in the game book is such an amazing book. And, um, and yeah, it really helps that, but, but, you know, I mean, thank heaven. So that people do have imposter syndrome. It means they care. It means they want to be better. Right. And, but, but I, I think to your point, like getting some exposure where you're, you know, you're taking care of the, the facial trauma, you're taking care of these big skin cancer defects or, or other problems. It does give you a confidence and helps you kind of overcome. I think some of that element of imposter syndrome, which, which is helpful. And then once you have that clinical base intact, I think it makes it easier to worry about, you know, the other things with the business, like where's the revenue coming from? How do I create this sort of team that I want? How do I do marketing properly and all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, like, it, you know, when you're, when you're at the university and you end up with a little tear in the dirt and you put a couple of stitches of fibromyrcelline in, you're like, Oh, that's, that's no big deal. Or you take some cancerous bone, you know, then when you get in practice, you get some bleeding. It's just not a big deal. You know, right. <laughs> right. right. It's like your example of the of the rib cartilage at a surgical center. Like you yeah. know, you've done so many of them that you that you feel totally comfortable with that. So tell me how you how how did you go? How did you just jump out and go? You know, I mean, you must have not have had a non compete or the non compete was far enough that it was an issue. You know, did you have to deal with that? Did you did you borrow money? How, how did you make that transition? Because there are a lot of people trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, so the nuts and bolts of how I left is I did have a non-compete. It was one year. Um, it was it's it reasonable. Like like everything that they had put in in the non-compete was totally reasonable. Um, I could have gone outside of the geographic area, and and I kind of in some ways wish that I would have. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I ended up paying um, paying to get out of my non-compete, and and the university was very. Um, um, I thought that they did a really good job of just being honest and straightforward. And, and yeah. I tried to do the same thing. And I, and I'm so grateful for that. Like I, part of me just wanted to fight it. I felt so like, wait, how am I going to, I'm just this single doctor. How am I possibly going to hurt the big university? Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that I didn't make a big deal about it. And I didn't fight about it. I did have an attorney who helped guide me through the process. And he's the one that gave me this advice. Cause I was, you know, I was like, listen, he's like, well, what about this, 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 and this, you know, like they're not honoring this, you know, I was kind of getting all fired up and, He's like, well, Dan, that's all true. Um, yeah, I mean, I think those are he, the, the the phrase he used was like, those are all great arrows to have in your quiver, but do you really want to shoot those arrows? <laughs> you know, does it really matter? And I'm so glad I didn't, just because if you can avoid contention in life, that's always better. And and I didn't want to hurt any friendships that I had, or I, I mean, I loved the chair there. He he was a great chair. Um, he's a friend. I consider him a friend, and so I I'm glad that I didn't sacrifice those relationships and. You know, that goes back to, you know, your network is your net worth and your network yep. is everybody you've ever met. And um, why, why harm that? And I agree. It's just the price of doing business. So that's the advice. I Yeah, they supported your salary for years. They, they allowed you to build a reputation. Naturally, you know, there's value there. I think a one year is a very, very reasonable non-compete. Um, very reasonable. Yeah. So, and there's a, you know, the. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't do any good to burn any bridges. So when you went out, um, you know, did you just, you know, did you just end one day? And if you had a non-compete, did you, did you go right back, go into practice? Did you wait three months? Yeah. So my, I just, I just went kind of right into it. Um, my, a little bit of complicating factor for my, my situation is that my daughter was hurt in an accident. Um, 
about a month before I was set to leave. And yeah. again, the, the, my chair being as gracious as he was, he said like, Hey, listen, I know you're leaving. You know, he and I had talked about this for like a year and a half. Like it wasn't a surprise. Yeah, yeah. I know you're leaving uh, because of circumstances. If you change your mind, you know, you can stay if you, um, you know, or if you just want to do a kind of a more gradual withdrawal, that's fine too. He was so, I mean, over the top gracious about it. Right. Um, and so mine was kind of a little slow, uh, but, but it ended up being, it was kind of slow. And then all of a sudden it was like, Hey, listen, like your spa is going to open. We don't really kind of want you to do that. So we probably ought to just break, you know, part ways next week. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay, well, we, so we parted ways. So it was, a, it was a little bit sudden at the very end, but, but overall it was a good experience. And I think it was just because both sides had confidence that we were going to treat each other properly and do it right. Yeah. To answer your question about uh, funding, I got a, I did an SBA loan which the SBA is awesome because they, you know, they help guarantee the, the funds for the lender. And so you can get those funds a lot easier. Um, you do typically have to have 10% down. Um, and so anyway, that's what I did. And that helped me. I decided, I think there's two ways to do it. I, for better or for worse, um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this, but the approach that I took was like, I'm going to do everything all at once. So I bought all the lasers I wanted. I bought, you know, like IPL machine, CO2 laser, all this stuff, which, <laughs> I wish I wouldn't have uh, just because it kind of added extra stress that I didn't need. Right. But, um, but, but the SBA loan was, was how I did, how I did it. And it was a variable rate. It was like 3.99%. Like our interest rates, they're, they're higher than they were, you know, a couple of years ago, they're still really low. Like in terms of the history of business. And, and that's one thing that I've learned as well is to not be afraid of, of debt. I mean, certainly don't, don't embrace it, you know, um, but also there's times there's, there can be healthy debt. Um, and, and, you know, somebody told me that well, actually as a banker who told me, it's like, there's, you know, you're going to owe somebody, you're going to owe the bank or you're going to owe, owe uh, are you going to owe a partner? Um, a bank's going to be a lot cheaper than like a joint venture or, you know, something like that, because you're going to be paying the partner forever versus um, the bank. You just, you pay the interest rate, you pay the fees and you're done with it. So, I wouldn't necessarily encourage people to take on more debt than they need to, but I also wouldn't necessarily be, I wouldn't totally rule it out just on principle alone. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, you know, we're just, we just did a major renovation of this building and spent more on that than the entire building when I put it in 20 some years ago. Um, and it makes me <laughs> ill to some degree because I had almost, I didn't have much debt here. We don't have much debt in the businesses, but um, but you, you know, I had no choice. I mean, what are you going to do? Stop doing business? I, I mean, what are you going to stop, stop growing? Um, but right. you don't want to be reckless either with it. And I think that, uh, I think where doctors do can get themselves in trouble is just, you know, believing so much in themselves that they, you know, overspend and over, over leverage. Um, was it, I mean, I bet it was probably scary. Wait, right when you first started, how many years ago was that? That was, um, Almost seven years ago. Seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about your practice. You know, you know, how did, what was the single best thing you did to get it started? I mean, cause I, I think this is what people want to know. Like what, what was the single best thing you did to get it started? I mean, you had some relationships across town, but you know, yeah. What was the best thing you did? Yeah. I mean, for, for me that it was those relationships. Um, it, 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 it was it was definitely those relationships and then also just being able to develop a practice. So, you know, you said earlier that the university invested in me and supported my salary, supported me developing a practice. And that's really what led to my success later is the, the opportunity to, to do that. Um, 
you know, when, when you're applying for a loan or you're starting a business, you always have to have a business plan. And the business plans are always wrong. Um, they are. The part, the, why did <laughs> the why part of my business plan. Why, why do they make us do a business plan? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think it just helps organize our thoughts. But I mean, you know, for, for me, I was convinced that Mo's surgery was going to support our business for like two years. Yeah, my business that, plan. You know, was. doing Mo's repair. <laughs> and and it, it's actually as soon as I left the university, it's like all these cosmetic patients came out of the woodwork. Yeah. And, you know, why that is, I, I don't know. I think it's just that there's a fear amongst the general public that, that they're going to be like guinea pigs or something like that in the um, in the university system. And yeah. so anyway, all these patients came out of the woodwork and it was it's like within three months we were profitable. And it was all cosmetic patients. That's why I say, like, you know, jokingly, the, the business plan is wrong because Mo's yeah. had nothing. My Mo's dried up. Right. <laughs> no, I, I made assumptions based on trauma and, and Mo's and skin cancer because I, I trained in a program that was heavily, you know, heavy, heavy trauma and whatever. And uh, it, it just, right. when I wasn't at the, what they, the university basically, when I didn't take a position with them, they wouldn't support me in any way, wouldn't give me privileges and wouldn't let me do trauma. So I had to run around trying to scrape up something else, um, you know, which was, yeah. you know, skin and lacerations and that sort of thing back in the day, you know, back in the day, we didn't have injectables back then too. So um, what was, what was something that didn't work? Like, you know, you look back and you, you regret like, Oh, that was a dumb decision. Um, well, um, I could, I mean, I could think of a thousand things, but just to get actually at the meat of it, I didn't work. Um, the biggest problem with my business early on was me and my my bad behavior, my bad habits, my lack of understanding about um, how to be a leader, how how to handle things properly. Um, you know, for example, I had really high expectations about how patients could be cared for, but I totally neglected like how my team was cared for. Yep. And um, <laughs> and. It wasn't, per you know, it certainly wasn't on purpose. I mean, I, I didn't no, have anything not. personally against the team members, but I just didn't, I, I just didn't make that connection. And, um, you know, it, it, you have to have a little bit of grace for yourself, but it's kind of embarrassing to admit that. Gosh, I was such a, you know, a bonehead to not realize, like, the people that I work with are like my family. Like, we need to take care of them and make sure that they know how much I love and appreciate them. That'd be the kind of the, I guess it's kind of a soft, generic thing to say, but that's, it, it was me. Like, I was no, the biggest problem. It's actually it, it it may seem for someone who thinks it seems soft, they don't understand because I didn't understand <laughs> as well. And I we had a, a guy who joined us about 12 years ago and it didn't last more than a couple of years but because he used to beat up on our team too much. And one day I pulled him aside and I said, you know, um, you're, you're, you're engaged, right? And he says, yeah. And I said, uh, so how much love do you get when you, you know, piss off? You know, and and I said, you know, our our team are our customers, too. It's not just about taking care of the patients and, you know, not sticking up for the team and supporting and building a team. I didn't understand that years ago. So let me ask you something. How did you come to an epiphany? Because I, I think I think people throw around the word leadership all the time. But the reality is I have become I have realized how difficult it is to be an extraordinary leader and why guys like Ed Bastian, who's the CEO of Delta is worth so damn much money. So how did you figure that out? And, and how did you make well, it? Um, 
you know, uh, like so many things, you have to kind of hit rock bottom, right? Like I had some some bad experiences where I lost some good employees, good team members. And at the time I couldn't understand like why they would, you know, want to leave or move on to a better situation. I did have a, I had a partner, a plastic surgeon partner who, um, he's very successful. I'm proud that, that we were involved in his success, but the way that I kind of structured things, like I was kind of naive, like we weren't trying to hide anything from him or anything like that, but he felt that way. Um, and then I, th I think that just not being organized, not being thoughtful about things kind of hurt our ability to, to grow. And, and it, it really was just, you know, lack of leadership skills, lack of, lack of maturity. And, and again, to, to be a little bit on the soft side, but I wasn't taking care of myself. Yeah. So when you say you weren't taking care of yourself, um, what do you mean by that? some time outside or to exercise or to to meditate or time with family doing the things that i love was really important it, it's really important for me to kind of make sure that i'm at my very best so i could be my very best for my team and then my team and i can be the very best for our patients which is of course what we you know all strive to do yeah i actually saw on one of your posts because i do the same thing you know i get up i for me if i don't have an hour to myself to you know whether you meditate pray whatever you want to call it um think through my day, think of the things I'm grateful for. You know, the happiest people in life are the people that are extremely grateful. I actually intentionally go through the list from top to bottom. Kind of hard to start your day off on a bad foot when you realize how fortunate you are, even when you've had a, a serious adversity in your life. Um, but taking care of yourself is extremely important because you can't take care of other people if you don't take care of yourself, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so what kind of training did you get because I, I, I'll tell you, you know, it's very interesting. I think that so many of us make that mistake. They, we do things that, you know, buy more equipment and do all these things. They think, you know, when reality, we're better off investing in leadership, investing in ourselves and learning how to build a team. Um, my epiphany was probably I was in practice 12 or 13 years and my numbers were growing and growing and growing, but my staff costs were growing out of proportion because I was doing a crappy job, you know, mm. getting an ROI on my team because I wasn't a good, as good of a leader. Even though I thought I was a good, decent business person, I didn't understand the leadership thing. And I went down a path of, you know, studying the best you know, leaders to see how I could be more effective. Um, yeah, so, so what is your practice like now? I mean, you're seven years into it, that's still, you know, that's still pretty well. You've been out, what, 12, 13 years, right? So you, yeah. you've been mm -hmm. out a while. So Steve Danes was probably, he's been out 10 years. So you were a young guy there when he was at the university, right? Yeah. So my it was my first year out of fellowship that, okay. um, that I was faculty at the university when he was, and it was his last year at the university. Yeah. So yeah. tell me so, about now. Yeah. So my practice now, um, rhinoplasty is about 60 to 70% of what I do. Uh, facelift, eyelids um, are probably about 30 to 35%. Hairs, maybe 5 to 10%. Five to 10% and then uh, skin cancer and a little bit of facial nerve is 5 to 10%. And that actually kind of reminds me, that practice mix, that the 5 to 10% that skin cancer and, and facial nerve, When you, I was going to say something when you we were asking earlier about, can you be a good physician and a good businessman? And I think in many ways, being, being having a successful business has helped me be a better physician because it's given us the financial 
um, ability to better take care of those patients that, that wouldn't be able to, you know. So we are able to say yes to any skin cancer patient, regardless of insurance, any facial nerve patient, regardless of insurance. And that really feels good to me as a physician. I like to be able to take care of, of those patients and I don't want to worry about whether they have insurance or not. I just want to take care of them. So um, I think that in many ways, running a good business, staying in the black and doing what's, what's right helps you be a better doctor. So no, that's kind of a little, little side note that no, I want I, to throw in. I agree with that. So a, guy, a buddy of mine who's an EO, who's, who's one of my dear friends, it took him you know, a few years to get where he got in. I, you know, he's, the guy is, if there's such thing as saint, being a saint, he's a saint and he's going to, you know, guy, die and go to heaven. <laughs> but he and his wife have always been, you know, he's got his business, but he has been so focused on his non-for-profit. And I once said to him, you know, Bill, if you focus on your business and you get your business really wildly in the black, then you'll have the time and the resources because that's really what these foundations need, you know. Um, you know, they need resources. And, and so I, we do something very similar. I, I took care of vascular birthmarks for years. We still take care of insurance. We still take care of skin cancer. I don't personally, but, um, and the consultants have always come in and they said, you should basically get rid of all the insurance stuff. And there, I, I mean, I do basically facelifts and rhinoplasties, but I just gave up skin cancer and those sorts of things four and five years ago, you know, 25 years in practice, because I didn't want to turn yeah. my back on the community. You know, we had, I didn't want to turn my mm -hmm. back and say, we no longer do that any longer. So um, we still take care of this community. I think that's really important. Um, and that makes me yeah. feel whole. You know, I don't, I don't just want to be, even though like, you know, 90, 99% of what I do is, um, you know, is non-insurance work. I can't, I, I, it doesn't make me feel good to, to not be a good doctor um, as well. And so, and that comes, some of that comes with mentoring residents and helping, you know, helping other physicians. But, uh, you know, you're not measured by just what you, you know, what you take. You're measured by what you give too, right? So I think that's a really good point. Absolutely. And I, I do, I, 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 it does bother me a little bit when I see people at the meetings and it's almost like a badge of honor to say, I, I no longer do any insurance, you know. Um, I don't know. That's just not who I want to be. Um, but I, I, I admire you for, and I think it's a really good point to make to people, you know, it does make you feel good about taking care of your friends and family and somebody's got skin cancer, right? For sure. And, and the other thing I think that, um, that there's all this talk in, in the medical world and the physician communities about physician burnout and about how unhappy we are as physicians and, and this and that, and we wouldn't encourage our children to go into this specialty or, or into the field of medicine. And, and I, and I understand where they're coming from, but I think, and the, the reason that a lot of people feel that way is because they feel trapped and they don't understand that, that yeah, I know running a business is hard and there's challenges with it, but it does give you the flexibility and the freedom to practice medicine in a way that you prefer. And I think, I think that you would feel the same way from what I know about you, but I can't imagine doing anything better. Like I am so happy. I feel blessed every single day yeah. that I get to do what I get to do. And it is, it's rewarding. It's inspiring. Um, it's inspiring to take care of our patients. It's inspiring to to ha to be part of a team and try to lead that team and f and make their lives more fulfilling. I just think we have the best jobs in the world as private practice facial plastic surgeons. I can't imagine anything better. No, I I don't agree with you and or don't disagree with you. I think that um, what what a little epiphany I had about five or six years ago is that you know how many families I take care of, meaning my the people that I work with. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I, we had 
recently we had uh, you know a thing where we we're doing recognition of some people and and Kim who's one of our assistants downstairs and front desk person she said to me she goes I remember you came in here during COVID like right when it happened and she said uh, you know she goes I always had a lot of respect for you but you said like I'm not worried about me I'm worried about our people and and so you know we we tend to think of that we're you know better than other you know than business people because we take care of you know people's illnesses but there uh a lot of my friends who are business leaders are incredible people because they have built a team and have really added value to their organization and the people that they work with and it took me a while to figure out how important it was to be able to take care of uh you know and not just worry about taking care of our patients does that make sense a hundred percent and it's you know, I think I think early on in the in the early course of your business, you're you're always like, are we in the black? Are we going to make it? You know, we're going to survive financially. And then once you get to that point, like, it, we're going to be okay. Then you start to think about, well, what sort of business do I want? And and for me, you know, like you said, that epiphany that you had, same thing with me. Like the epiphany that I had was, I want a business where whether a team member is with us for a day, a week, a year, a decade, their entire career, whatever. I want them to feel that they grew and that they found fulfillment in the work that they're doing. And, and if we can't help them find that, then they're either in the wrong position or, um, you know, it's not the right job for them or we're failing them by through our high, bad hiring process or by not providing the training and development opportunities that, that they need. Because that, that's the sort of place that I want to work. Yeah. So let me I want to get your thoughts on this. You know, I run into, you know, friends, colleagues of ours that are well-respected and um, at the meetings and they, you know, they basically, you know, hate their patients and they hate their team. Right. Um, what do you, cause I hear this all the time, you know, uh, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, you know, I want to hear like, what, what do you think is the problem there? I, well, I get it. Cause I've been there. <laughs> um, I, I think like it's, I think that, what they don't realize is that they actually do have power. I, I suspect they feel that those physicians and surgeons feel that way because they don't understand that they have they do have control over that. They don't have complete control. They can't do whatever they want. They can't and they can't change it overnight. But yeah. but they do have control over that, that. You know, if you if your practice isn't running the way that you want to, change it. You know, like it's like I think Tony Robbins has this saying. It's like the road to the road to someday leads nowhere. Um, and you know like it's like someday is now like make the change now don't you know don't wait life's too short or you know i mean i'm sure that you know you've been, you as as long as you've been in practice it's it probably that number probably sounds longer than how it feels for you being in practice you know that it's it, time flies and, and it, life is too short to not enjoy your oh, work yeah so uh so said a different way i always say the choke point of every business is at the top and um you know, and, and I see so many of our colleagues who say that and they don't realize they're the problem. Uh, <laughs> they're the problem. You know, um, I have less grief in my life. I have more, always I have more, you know, fulfillment and enjoyment now with all the people we have and being having done this for you know 30 years. I look back. I'm like, where the heck did the time go? And the thing that I've become so <laughs> is time like I, I, I don't you, you know. I could retire, but I don't want to retire, but I also don't want to be one of these, you know, one of our colleagues at 72 years old still operating this. So, because I don't think that's healthy either. So, um, and, and what we do is so different because we're so vested, right? 
But my transition is that I can still run a business. You know, I don't necessarily have to do surgery at some point. I don't know when that, right. but, it, but I've talked to a lot of people who have uh, walked away from their specialty and, um, and it's psycho, you know, walked away from doing surgery and it psychologically uh, beats you up a little bit. Cause it's your whole, it's your whole identity to some degree. Right. Oh, for sure. And I think that's why we, you know, if we get a negative review or we get a negative, you know, outcome for a patient, why we take that so personally? Cause it's, it's not just like, oh my gosh, like you guys screwed up my toilet, you know, if you're a plumber. But no, we well, like you screwed up my face or you screwed up my life, and it's it's our identity. It's who we are. Well, and it may be it may be their perception, but it, you still take it. I take it very personally, and we yeah. we can't but not take it personally what we do, right? I think that's what makes it you know uniquely different and challenging as as a as a business. Tell me about the next five to ten years for Doctor Ward. Where do you see yourself? What do you what do you what what are you trying to accomplish? How would you? You know, what's your vision? I, if you've been in EO, I know you've got some, you've been doing some, you know, strategic planning and goal setting and those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our vision is to expand the number of, of physicians. Our, um, so we, we currently have, there's myself and an associate. My current fellow is is planning on joining us when, when she's done. Awesome. Um, a dermatologist and a, a plastic surgeon will both be joining us in the next three to six months. So we're really excited to be able to offer kind of more of those services and and the thing that I'm really excited about is, is something that we all know as, as you know, in, in the aesthetics industry is that, is that what we do is about how people look, but it's not really about how they look. It's about how they feel yep. and, you know, helping them have better confidence and better security and being able to go through life without worrying or stressing about that little bump on their nose or the, their jowl or their, you know, dangly neck or, or whatever it's. And when you actually really talk to those patients that you're our happiest patients are the ones who who are happiest because the bump on their nose is gone or whatever. It's because it's like the first time they've been able to invest in themselves and it feels good. And now all of a sudden they like, oh, my gosh, like I, I can take care of my fitness to a better degree. I can work on my marriage to a better degree. I can be a better parent. I can. It, it's, it's this crazy transition. And so my real passion at this point in my life is is how can we kind of better bring that out? So we do a couple of things that I think are, that we're just starting, that I'm excited to see where it goes. Every one of our patients who has surgery gets uh, coaching. So we have a life coach that we work with that is that is using this advantage. You know, hopefully they only have one rhinoplasty in their life, but they get their rhinoplasty to get their facelift. And if they haven't had coaching before, if they're willing to do that, they get um, some coaching with this coach, just not to like totally change their life, but to maybe use this as a spot to, to really help develop their life and improve their life. So little things like that, that we're just really excited about doing and, and do playing that. a role. Like we're. You're bringing that up at like the one month or follow up or three months or something. At, at the, at the pre-op visit. So we have every patient yeah. come in at the pre-op visit and we, um, and we all, you know, we just tell them about it. It's not like we make them do it or anything like that, but we tell them about the service that's complimentary and they, um, you know, can sign up for it if they, if they want to. Um, so that's something we're really excited about because I think that it's more about what goes on in our heads versus yeah. what goes on in our nose or our face. Yeah. What are, what are your what are your biggest you know what are the things that keep you up? What are the biggest challenges you have right now with the practice that you have? What's you know what are the things that you know? Listen, un, whether you like it or not, once you go down the road of running a business, you wake up and you go to bed thinking about it, right? It's it's unfortunate or fortunate. If it's part of your chemistry, it's who I am. But what are the things you think about right now or the things you worry about or, you know, or 
kind of keep you up or you're trying to, you know, figure out? The thing I'm figuring out right now is, you know, with these new physicians starting is just making sure that our cash flow is staying positive. You know, right now we're kind of going to be at our nadir of, of income where we've got these new physicians starting. We've given, you know, we've offered them a guarantee for their salary and as, as I think we should and making sure that, that, that our finances are, are up to speed and that we're, we're doing a good job running the business and that, um, that's the thing that keeps me up at night. I, I think we're fine. Our numbers look fine, but as you said, it's like you can't help yourself but worry about that to some degree, right? So it's interesting. I want to share a little epiphany I had a week or two ago. Um, you know, because I do the same thing, just like you're doing. I've continued to grow. I've continued to grow organically and add and add and add. And in each one of these decisions, you're, is there going to be an ROI? Is this a waste of time? Is this a waste of money? Is this a danger? You know, entrepreneurs have distractions, right? We We chase the you know, we sometimes we get out of the blue part of our flame to go bat at a shiny object somewhere that may not, right? Doesn't have an ROI. So, but I realized that in taking, trying to take a very strategic approach, there are so many people in, in business running big businesses. And let's like talk about a guy like Musk, you know, uh, you know, if you read his book, this guy, so these people are making, like, for example, Amazon laying off, you know, 4,000 people or 10,000 people. I mean, those people are no smarter than you and I, yet some of that is just, you know, making decisions based on what you think the future is. And it's huge, huge risks and, you know, huge potential outcomes of making a good or a bad decision. Um, Saunders, who was the CEO of uh, Allergan, bought Kybella for $2.2 billion or something. That was a disaster of a decision. Um, but it made me, you know, it gives you confidence to some degree to say, okay, these guys are really smarter than we are, right? Right, right, right. The issue, as you kind of brought up earlier, is that I think for us as physicians, we we think we can figure it all out. And, you know, again, that, you know, Who Not How uh, book, it's like the gap in the game, you know, by the same author. Who Not How talks about like, you know, you, you know, just because you can do your bookkeeping doesn't mean you should. Just yeah, because was, you can, you know, oh, cut your own grass doesn't mean you should. Right. Do you, do you, uh, did you do strategic coach? That's one of Daniel Sullivan's books, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have not done strategic coach, although I, I, I haven't either. Should. I mean, I, I honestly, I went through that process. I was going to do it and I, I realized I don't want to be arrogant, but I realized I can figure this stuff out on my own. I don't need to go to Toronto for, you know, three times or four times mm -hmm. a year. There's also people we know that have done strategic coach and, you know, don't actually execute. So what good is that? You know, if you're not, and I always right. forget well, I could I could execute what um, I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm not going to keep you much longer. But I wanted to ask you, I mean, do you have any any questions for me? You know, um, any things that, you you know, where you're at that you could say, maybe I, I want to get your opinion on. Um, and then if you think of any afterwards to shoot us an email, because I I do like to include. Oh, this I, I will. Well, I mean, I, I think I think that I, like so many people, have studied your career and listened to you talk and listen to the things that you've said. There's so many things that you have said that. Um, that have been influential and have been a guiding principle for, for me, you know, um, you, I, I well, folks, I think we've come to the end here with Dr. Ward. I, I lost him. I think his signal, uh, dropped out on me, but, um, uh, hope you found it enjoyable. If you have any questions, uh, shoot them to me, any suggestions for people you want me to interview, let me know as well. So hope you have an awesome day and you hope you find this, uh, these, um, these podcasts useful.